0: We thank you that uh, we are not in control, even though we want to be. Um, It helps us to understand our dependency upon you and our need for you at every moment. It's a hard thing, and I know Ed has been strong, um, and now he's so incredibly weak, and I pray that you would minister to him, Um, you would just be his shepherd, be his friend, be his Lord and Savior. And I pray you'd minister to the whole family. And Father, I thank you for new life. I thank you for um, little Joan uh, and the, the blessing that she is to Michael and Evie and to Robin and I. And I pray that you would take care of her, watch over her, bless the whole family. Um, and Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for Uh, The word of God, which we gather around, which we feast upon, and I ask that you would help us to feast upon you as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you are still sticking around, that's a good thing. (laughs) I listened to Danny's first class, I haven't listened to a second Sunday school yet, uh, at least not the whole thing. And so that's a good class, I'm enjoying it, so, uh, Numbers chapter 10, we are coming up to a transition point in the book of Numbers, so let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 10, and uh, while we're getting the microphone uh, settled, I'll read these verses, and then we'll give it to, uh, oh, Robin says I'm a little loud, why don't you give that to uh, Megan to read, can you read, Megan? Okay, and then Marcus, if you'll turn me down a little bit.
1: The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent meeting, tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out, and when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, the trumpets shall be to you. For a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord our God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts and at the beginnings of your mount of the. Of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God.
0: Okay, thank you. okay, um, first off, this is obviously about trumpets. Um, there's two trumpets. These are different than the ram's horn um In uh, Joshua 6, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up and every one straight before them. So the ram's horn is a little bit different uh, than this one. This is, uh, what are these trumpets made of, these two trumpets? Made of silver, Yeah. One reason why we know it's not the same thing as the ram's horn, right? Um, There were two of them. And what were the purposes? There were uh, two purposes for these trumpets. Yeah, so... Two, summoning the congregation, and this is bringing to summon them to the tabernacle. So all of their tents are outside around the tabernacle. You'd hear this one trumpet, and they would know to all come and report to the tabernacle. Um, and they had a distinction. If, if both trumpets were blown then the whole congregation would gather. If there was only one blown, then only the chiefs of the congregation would gather. So very interesting. Um, it doesn't really tell you how the, the uh, distinguishing between the summoning uh, blast and the breaking of the camp blast, uh, what, what might you see from that? I mean, do you see any details there? It doesn't really explain too much. Right, when you break camp, that's, yeah, you're, it's like, we're ready to go. Everybody's ready to go. You're breaking camp, right? Um, they don't really say what's the, the difference between those, um, but Jewish tradition says that there were short blasts um, for the breaking of camp, um, but the long blast was the summoning. So somehow they were distinguished. Uh, we don't really know exactly. Um, and there was a first alarm and a second alarm. So you had the eastern camp setting out, and then you had the southern camp. So I'll, I'll show you this here again if you still remember this. Um, so here's the the east part of the camp. So the first blast would be to set these guys out, and then the second blast would be to bring these guys to follow um, then it was going to be the tabernacle and the Levites, and then the uh, west, and then the north last. So it, was, it would go around that way. So it's very ordered in how they break out. Um, uh, other than the fact of just, um, well, there's another purpose given for the trumpets uh, besides summoning and breaking camp. Uh, and what is that when you go to war right? and why would you need an alarm to go to war what I mean obviously, to tell everybody to get ready for war that's that's the obvious one. Are there other reasons for these trumpets? There you go. So that you might be remembered before the Lord your God and saved from your enemy. So what is that communicating to the people when they hear the trumpet blast? Practically speaking. What's that? God is with them in battle. That's the point, right? You're not fighting this battle alone, but the Lord is with you. So it's it's not just a practical call to the people to fight. It's actually a... uh, Similar to what we would think of a prayer asking God to fight for us. So that was the, the trumpet call. Defend us, O Lord. It, it, you know, it's, that's the, the thrust of it. Uh, and then it gives you some other, way, other times that the trumpets might also be blown. You see those? offerings when you're doing offerings what's that Mary day of gladness, day of gladness. like you, everybody come to feast it's a time of gladness yeah at the, beginning, of the, at the be- beginning isn't that a yeah like every month is like a new celebration that they would they would want to come together and celebrate so appointed feasts and I would say that at these times the trumpet just it's a it's a clarion call not just from the, the priest who would blow them, but it's actually a call from God to the people to come and be a part of this. It's, it's, a, it's a God-ordained call to come and be a part of things. And so I would uh, we don't have silver trumpets. In my church growing up back home, we had a bell tower, and that would, it would ring every time right before worship. And I thought, as a kid, I was like, well, that was the best thing in the world, that they let me pull that rope to that boom, boom, you know. And so, uh, but that was a clarion call, right? It was a call to you are God's people, and you need to be coming. And how do we do that in our service? We do have a clarion call. It's not a bell. It's not a trumpet. It's the call to worship. It's it's That's why that's there. It's not just a little oh, um, we got this call to worship or whatever. And I know that a lot of times um, our elders um, will give just like a little, almost like a snippet sermon or just a few words or comments and stuff to kind of get you ready for the worship. And that's excellent. But ultimately, it's just a statement. God is saying, I am calling you to worship me. You know, that's a, it's a clear call um, to come and worship. Uh, there's another trumpet call. Uh, in Scripture that is spoken of, like it's the illustration of a trumpet call is, is, uh, is uh, applied in another situation in Scripture. Well, Christ returns, that's the big one. Yeah, when, when he comes again, there'll be this mighty trumpet call. But I'm thinking more of the worship service again. Preaching is a trumpet call. So, uh, and I think the uh, elements of why there's a, a parallel is that it's God speaking, it's to be a very clear, distinct voice, it's not to be muddled and in, in, uh, vague, it's it's a clear clarion call to either faith, or repentance, or, you know, trusting God, I mean, it's it's a clear, distinctive, so you would know from the trumpet, oh, that's a call to summon, or that's a call to do this, so... Thus, preaching is supposed to be a very clear call to God's people as well. Uh, I think prayers... Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. good to have you back, Ken. Well, you. <laughs> sure back. I ain't, Well, in some ways, I'm <laughs> pleased to be with you guys. <laughs>
2: pleased to be teaching. Go ahead, there you go. I was, Before you leave that, I was... Um going to bring up my experience in Kingsport growing up, Uh, um, every Sunday morning I would hear the church bells Uh all over the city, and that was really a blessing, Um, and I guess I I didn't need it as a reminder, (laughs) but it was a blessing at that time, and I'm wondering uh, if you're aware of why that has happened that we don't have those right now I'm not I don't look we don't have bells
0: here well
2: well, I would say that no matter how
0: loud you made those bells uh, maybe Clark would hear them you know in the old days you had you had the church and you had the community that was close I mean it was right there and so when you rang the bells virtually everybody that wasn't way out those who were in the town heard those bells it's just not that way anymore so that's just practically speaking we don't okay yeah, the bells in, the town, bells do in ring. town
2: do ring. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good.
0: First Baptist bells, I hear chiming. You know. I hear Mount Home. Oh, do you? There you go, Mount Home, and you. Oh, really? Okay. So there are some. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um. So, so um, calls to worship, biblical preaching, um, prayers of God's people. I think are, are um, symbolized in this, uh, the trumpet blast. Uh, if you are in Revelation, there's like, they talk about the prayers of the saints going up to God before his return. Uh, but then Robin mentioned the, the last trumpet, uh, Christ coming at the last trumpet, 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So that that clear calling of all God's people together will occur at that time. It's not by accident that in Revelation you have the in the cycles, you have you have um the trumpets as the second cycle, right? You have the bowls of wrath, you have the trumpets, and you have the seals. And the trumpets are basically a clarion call of the warning of God's return to God's people. So all those kind of things are, have their origins right here in this this trumpet that they're uh, fashioning at this point. Uh, questions on that? So, so this is a, a point at in verse 11 that we see a transition. So, Chapters 1 through 10 can really be spoken of as the preparation to leave Sinai. That's all those chapters. They're getting ready for them to start marching towards the promised land. So all those first 10 chapters, all the things that we looked at, are are basically a supplemental, they're trying to prepare God's people for their marching out as an army, okay? And it would make sense that it would be concluding with the trumpets, that that would be the the time. So now, in chapter 10, verse 11, we begin to see uh, uh, that actual moving out. So I'm going to let, well, who wants to read? Anybody can read. They can just give you the microphone. Just This is a short one, just verses 11 and 12. Hey, Megan's ready to read again. There you go.
1: In the second year, in the second month, on the twelfth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran.
0: Okay, so couple little details quickly. How long have the Israelites been around Sinai? Two years? I think it's a little bit over a year. In the second year, in the second month. So, yeah, 14 months, something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can imagine all the things that occurred during that time. They were constructing the the tabernacle. They were hearing the word Moses didn't just give them the Ten Commandments, but he also gave them, you know, all the laws in Exodus, and there was a lot of communication that he was having with them. So um, this is all occurring right there around Sinai. Uh, And other than the trumpet, you'd think you'd just have this big conversation about the trumpet. That's how you know when to leave. Uh, How do they uh, supernaturally know when they should leave? The (laughs) cloud. Well, there it goes, you know. Um, and I don't, I don't really have a good illustration of this I, I, in my mind, but I will tell you that um, being a beekeeper, uh, when, a, when you get a swarm of bees, they, they like leave the hive and they all cluster around this um, on a branch usually of a nearby tree and they're just, they're just all there in a big clump like this and they send out scouts and those scouts go and look for a new home and when the scouts find the new home, they come back. And when it could take anywhere from 20 minutes to six hours, you know, so you have, they'll be sitting there. And your idea is to try to catch the swarm before it leaves so that you can keep those bees. But anyway, uh, there was one time I was so close. Robin called me and I came home and there it was. And I got there and I'm getting my stuff ready. And then all of a sudden I could just see the bees start doing this like, it looked like a, like a little tornado. They just, you know, probably about... 10 or 15 feet in diameter, 15 feet high. They just started doing this, this spinning motion. And then they just went up and just went away. And so I missed that hype. But anyway, um, but I can just something like that, you know, where you see this cloud hovering over the tabernacle, and then all of a sudden, there it goes, you know. And so um, this uh, visible presence of God and, it, and that's where they know where to go, right? You don't need Google Maps. You just follow the cloud wherever it takes you, right? You just, it, you just go where it says. Um, why would God do it this way? Yeah, well, to, to lead them by a cloud. It's not really the way we get led, is it? Gary, is that the way you get led? Yeah. Where am I going to go to church today, God? And you know, I see a cloud and follow it to church, you know. Um, what did you say, Mary? Right? Okay. Yes, Shannon. Um, okay, so um I would say uh The Spirit and the Word together, they didn't have a complete Word of God, you know, we have a full Word of God that guides us, though your Word is a lamp unto my feet, right, that kind of, and the Spirit, I would would not say that they didn't have the Spirit at all, but He clearly was not uh, manifest to them in the way that He's manifest to us, because the Spirit's job is to point us to Christ and Christ hadn't come yet. Um, right, no, I get you, yes. There's less, there's a lot more outward, um, kind of tangible, uh, physical demonstrations of the spiritual work rather than just what we would think of the inward working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, And I would say that those are are, um, there to instruct us. So so what I do is, even though I don't depend on an outward physical, uh, visible manifestation of God's presence, is it not true that every one of us are trying to follow God's presence in a similar way? You want to go where God wants you to go. You want to live the life that God wants you to live. Is that right? I mean, you don't just say, oh yeah, i just do what I want and God will follow along. You, you want to follow his leading and think about where you want to live, what church you go to, who you get married to, what job you're going to take. I mean, all these ways you're wanting. And I think this, this example is instructive to us, even though we don't have a, a, this visible representation of God we all should be saying, Lord, I want to follow you every moment and every day of my life. And so I think God is physically, tangibly teaching that lesson. It's not enough to just say, oh, we're God's people, do what you want. It's a daily moment by moment following him. And I would say that as we look at this in a moment, how the Spirit led them, some days he would stay in one place for a long time, Sometimes he would be there for one day. Sometimes, I bet they backtracked. They were going all over the wilderness. It just didn't always make sense to them. And I think that's typical of our lives as well. Our lives don't always make sense to us, the things that God gives to us. When I, when I saw my kids uh, leave Morganton to go to college, I didn't expect them to not be back here. You know what I mean? And so it's just the, the path of God's providence and how he leads people is very different over time, I didn't expect to be a pastor of Faith Presbyterian Church for 25 years, 26 years. Um, you know, the last thing I thought I would be was a pastor. And yet, trying to every day say, God, I want you to lead me. What is it you want me to do? How do you want? What decisions do you want me to make? Those are that's a that's a real thing. It's not just something that occurred in the wilderness. It's something that we all should be seeking to submit our hearts to God every day. Okay. Um, where does, the, where does it descend? Um, where the cloud descends? Where does it descend? The wilderness of Paran. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Ishmael grows up in this region. So think about that, just connecting you back. Uh, he grew up there. This is near Kadesh Barnea. And uh, Kadesh Barnea is... Uh, see if I can pull this up to you guys uh, I don't think it even has it right there, but it would be down here, just as at the northernmost it's kind of a jumping off point uh not seeing in that one either, so maybe here no, but it's it's north. it's it's right not in the wilderness down here but it's it's moving up into close to the promised land um and where would it descend just little details we know but we should where does the the cloud descend it's in peron but what it tells us y'all it's always descending on what I guess it doesn't say that. So we lift it lifted up after the, over the Tabernacle of Testimony, and then it also would come right back down over the Tabernacle of Testimony. Why do you think that it's called the Tabernacle of Testimony? Kind of a weird name, isn't it? The Tabernacle of Testimony. Any guesses? Yeah, it's a hard, the testimony of God. Yeah, so um, testimony, we think of giving a testimony, right? It's a statement, uh, sometimes of our faith. We talk about giving your testimony. Um, The tablets of testimony, so that's a tabernacle of testimony, but it's also the tablets of testimony are put in the ark, right? So that would be the law of God. It's God's testimony of his law, of his guidance, of his presence, those kind of things. They're all statements of of God saying to them, I am with you, I am ruling you, those sorts of things. So, what is... We don't have a tabernacle of testimony. What's the the tabernacle of testimony for us? What is it that we, how do we apply this into the new covenant? That's what I'm saying in our situation today. The word of God, absolutely. The law is the word. And it's there for both law and guidance, but it's also there for presence, right? In the promises of God to you. So we'll say things we don't gather in a building necessarily, God could be anywhere, he's not just in one tabernacle, but these kind of things are all clear in our worship service, which is why worship is so important to us, because we believe God is speaking to us of his presence and his promises, he's giving us guidance, he's given us his law, those are the things. That's why we think of worship as, a, as like the most important thing you do all week, not because it's... Oh, it's the way I can check off and make it myself right with God. That's not the point. It's this idea that, that just as the tabernacle functioned in the Old Testament, so worship functions for us in the New Testament. Very important for us to, to get that. Okay. Um, now, this is a longer section to read, 13 through 28, and it's, uh, it's kind of more boring uh, to those of us. So who wants to read this section? I'm sure Mary is ready to do this isn't she? Bring that up to Mary. 13 through 28. Thank you.
3: They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses the standard of the camp of the people of of Judah is it the standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies and over their company was Nashon, the son of Amminadab. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Issachar was Nathanael, the son of Zwar. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Zebulon was Eliab, the son of Helon. And when the tabernacle was taken down, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who carried the tabernacle, set out. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out by their companies. And over their company was elizer the son of Shadur. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Simeon was Shelumiel the son of Zerushaddai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Gad was Elishaph the son of Duel. Then the Kohahites set out carrying the holy things... And the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the people of Ephraim Ephraim, set out by their companies. And over their company was Elishama, the son of Amahud. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pittazur. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Benjamin was Abidan, the son of Gideoni. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out by their companies, and over their company was Ahizer, the son of Amishadi. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher was Pagiel the son of Okran, And over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enon. This was the order... Of the march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out.
0: Okay, so again, I guess the best way to think about this, and I'm not sure I numbered this correctly, but um, is that first times are special. Now, I don't know about you, but um, we have way more pictures of Jenny than we do our other two kids. And I remember when Robin uh, you know, we had Jenny, she started writing journals and little things about Jenny and, you know, she was going to keep a log of, you know, and then the other two kids come and you're just basically in survival mode, right? I mean, you're just, they just don't, so this is, this is, they don't do this all the time. They don't keep this long list, but this was the very first time it occurred. And so they were going to take note of this. They're going to have everybody, uh, written down. They're going to take a log of this and, um, Anyway, it's, it, I think that's probably... This is a monumental moment, right? This is the beginning of God's army going into the promised land. Similar to what we would say the day of Pentecost. It was a big moment in the history of Israel. They were no longer just a people that had been redeemed out of Egypt. They were now an army marching towards the promised land. Okay? So this is... Uh, very, it's very similar to the, the uh, day of Pentecost because at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit is the, like the beginning of this new movement of the church of God that is going to go out into all the world, right? We're not going to our promised land yet. We're not actually in heavenly glory yet, but the church is marching forward to fulfill its, its orders. And so you have all these little details here. Are there any details that... Uh, Raise any questions for you. Uh, there's six stages. That's why I don't like what I just did here. I tried to be quick. and I didn't do a good job. So what happens in stage one? We got that right. Well, first stage one is just the uh, Judah goes. Like that. Um, I think stage two is the tabernacle being taken down. maybe Maybe I'm putting those wrong. So the standard of the camp, Judah takes off, and as you look, you know, you got all the Levites all the way around, and as Judah takes off, then there's this taking down of the camp. So maybe two is here. So they take the camp down. What do they do next? Oh, you know what? As they're taking down the camp, these Levites seem to set out. Is that right? Did I get that right? The sons of Gershon and Merari who carried the tabernacle set out. So the tabernacle's taken down, and these guys begin taking off. And then stage three is the Reubenites. get that right. And, and then stage four is the Koathites. They're more they're more Jews as well. I mean Levites as well. And what do the Koathites do? Right. Yeah, they're carrying the most holy things. So you've um, that's a special a special um, um task that's given to them. they get the most holy things. Now this is going to be interesting because maybe if you want to turn over for a second to chapter uh, 16. This is a famous rebellion. Um, Korah's rebellion and Korah is a son of Koath and who's with Korah in his rebellion there? What's that you see in verse 1? Who's with him? Yet yeah, Dathan and Baram and who are they sons of? Keep going. Who are sons of Reuben. So, can you see that when this rebellion occurs, this whole southern portion of the, the tabernacle rebel against the, the priests and Moses? So, we're going to see, and I, I just think that there's more than just a, uh, a single, a little bit of yeast works through the whole lump of dough kind of thing. So there's, there's some jealousy that's going to take place among these Kohathites. They're actually much higher than these guys in terms of their order of, of what they get to do, but they're not here. And, and somehow they infect the Reubenites as well, and, and this yeast of sin kind of works through this whole southern camp to rebel against uh, Judah. So it's not by accident that these, uh, this order is taking place. And you think about this in our own day, it's usually not, I'm going to use sports analogy, it's usually not the worst guy on the team that's jealous of the best guy on the team. It's usually the guy who's like second. So you had like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. And so after a while, you start thinking Scottie Pippen's like, wait a minute, everybody, Michael Jordan gets all the glory, and I'm doing everything here, right? And so that's kind of what's, you'll see this moving on, is that there's a, there's a Grunt, uh, a jealousy, a disgruntledness that occurs in this camp towards those guys. But at this point, we don't know that. I'm just kind of, it sets all this up that these Kohathites and the Reubenites are together and they're moving forward. So, okay, so that's uh, three and four. And then uh, stage five is Ephraim, stage six is uh, Dan. And they all march out, and everything looks good, right? At this point, we don't hear the disgruntledness. All we know is that they're marching out. And this is the way it works as, as well in the church. You think, oh, everything's going great, when the reality is it's oftentimes under the surface, in good times, there are the seeds of dissent that are just starting to ferment. Um, so anyway, but they're marching out. Things are going good. I don't really have a whole lot else to say about this. Um, so, any questions on that? It's kind of an ideal picture of the church functioning the way it should function. All right, 29 through 32. Caroline, you want to read? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Reuben, Re- Reuel, Midianite Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. He answered, No, I will not go. I am going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, Please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the desert, and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, We will share with you whatever good things the Lord
0: gives us. Okay, so this this little insert, it to me is uh, full of questions uh, and and very uh, confusing on a lot of levels. Uh, What is the relationship between Habab and Ruel? (laughs) (coughs) so uh yeah so you have Moses who's married um to a Midianite and so there's her father is Ruel right is that right am I getting that right and Habab, what's that? Jethro. Well, see, this is the question, right? You know, because you're used to thinking of her father as Jethro, right? Yeah, and this is Zipporah. Maybe an H there. Um, so, but here, um, this... Is it just the same person by two different names? Could be. Right? Two to the same person. Uh, uh, after looking at all the information, it does seem a little bit maybe not. Um, I'm just going to read to you here. As Jethro helped Moses in counsel as a judicious administrator, so Habab. Helped him as an experienced Arab sheik, familiar with the tracks, passages, suitable places of the wilderness for an encampment. Um, um. Yeah, I'm just. I'm thinking that this is probably going to be too confusing to try to go through all this. Uh, just know that there's some there's some dis- question as to whether Habab is he is he the is he Zipporah's. Brother, you know, um, the is it grandson? there's a lot of questions that go on here. I'm not going to go into all those because it just thinks um... it seems like doesn't trust Well, yeah, so this is this is that's really the I, I didn't I had to do this a little bit because I'm still confused. I think it's possible that one of these is a title and one of them is a name, but it's also possible that they might just be related somehow. There's a lot of confusing things going on there, and I don't want to get into that so much as what Mary's talking about, which I think is the real issue, okay? So um, if you look in Exodus 18.27, let's turn there for a moment. So what does it tell us about Jethro in Exodus eighteen twenty seven? Yeah, so he actually Jethro leaves. He does not go with the people of God. Um, but Habab is another question, right? Um. Nope. Uh, so somehow he might make the same choice as Jethro. That's the, I think that's the tension in this. Will Habab do the same thing? Will he leave in the same way that Jethro left? In Exodus 18, yes, Right. So Jethro, um, yeah, he, but he's the one that actually sets up the 70 elders, so that's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing because Moses, um, Moses is being overwhelmed and the 70 elders is Jethro's idea, you just need help, um, spoken like a good father, you don't have any time for your wife, you need help probably kind of thing, um, Right, right, that's good, that's very good. Uh, But they are probably heading towards his homeland, so it would be a question. uh, Now, Habab, are you going to part ways with God's people, or are you going to stay with them? Um, Will you go to the people of your father, or will you not? Uh, and, And so this is a big decision by Habab, and I think it's very important, because as the army of God is moving out towards the promised land, the question is, Will you remain in the visible people of God, or will you separate yourself from the visible people of God? And so, uh, Habab originally does not want to stay, right? He's ready to go. And then what does is, what is, uh, Moses do to encourage him to remain? This is where it gets a little... <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, so God will be good to you, And that's that's more than just, um, you know, uh, Santa Claus is making his list and he's checking it twice. You know, who's naughty and nice? He'll be good to you. It's, It's more in line with the covenant promises, right? Stay with us. Because if you stay with us, the covenant promises will be yours. That's kind of what he's telling him. Goodness is yours. God will, he has promised this good to Israel and you will be a part of this. Right? That's his motivation. Um, And that we're setting out for the place that the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and you'll get a part of this. Which is interesting, because he's not an Israelite. And yet, if he connects himself with Israel, he will be able to have a part of this. This is like Evangelism 101 in the Old Testament. Right? a A lot of Ruth and Naomi in this. Yes, that's exactly right. The Old Testament is not about ethnicity, Because if it was all about ethnicity, then Habab wouldn't have a place. He'd be out. It's not the the case, right? Habab has a place, and Moses is telling him that. And what does Habab say to this? (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) In other words, you can see that his faith isn't completely convinced that that God's going to do all that he promised him to do. Um, I will not... Uh, he said to him, I will not go, I will depart to my own land, to my own kindred. Basically saying I've got a better offer in my own hometown. Of course he doesn't, but then Moses steps in and says, no, but don't. So what do you think of Moses' secondary uh, persuasion? Yeah, that's, it's like, you'll be our eyes, our scout, isn't that interesting when God has just said that his, he's going to go up with the, you know, and so what do you think about Moses' uh, secondary persuasion of him? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem right to us, does it? Can we, can we look at it in some positive light, though? Yeah, that's right. So so it's almost like is, we need you. And that's not a bad thing, you know, making use of, of those who are almost in the covenant but not quite there, you know, and saying, we can make use of you. You're, you could be a, a vital part of, of our uh, army as it goes forth. Not a bad thing but he also in verse 32 reiterates the promise again so he goes back up to that right now it doesn't um, doesn't tell us but I think there's an assumption that Habab does go with them um and I think this is this is like Old Testament evangelism. You know? Uh and it says whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will lead to you because the same will be. Mm. So maybe Moses in case Mary's more on the negative side of Moses here. You know you're the only one that doesn't win your hangout. Um Just remember, you're talking to the most humble man on the earth, right? About the most humble man on the earth. And and he is regularly in the presence of God. But I will say that Mary's willingness to go against Moses at this moment is probably very insightful. Because as we go forward in the book of Numbers... They are going, there are going to be people who will discount Moses because of the wife that he chose. There are going to be people that are going to say, who are you to lead us? So, so like, this is it, the fact that we're already going, hmm, I don't know about Moses in this one. You know, this is, like, exactly what is going to happen to Moses' leadership. Yes,
3: Is he like? Is that like a good job? Offer? Is that something like people would want to be?
0: It's very like, good. I can't
3: tell what he
0: like. If no, I think it's very good because I think Habab. Like, oh,
1: you get this job if you say.
0: Habab is familiar with the region. This is his homeland.
1: But
3: is it a good job? Like, would people want that job?
0: I think so. Yes. Okay, that's what I was. Trying yes. Okay. Yeah. This is. Uh, it's not like oh, you get to be the lowest of the low and just you know be our scout. If you were a scout, um, that was a, a very uh, important task. I'm sure it is dangerous. Yeah. And, and what could be, I don't know uh, how, uh, when they start fighting, it'll be dangerous, I'm sure. Um, so uh, again, I'm I'm okay with, with not liking Moses's persuasion. I'm okay with liking Moses's persuasion uh, because I think that this sets up where the book of Numbers is heading, which is going to be we're not sure we like Moses' leadership. We're not sure he's doing for us what he should be doing for us. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Better side with the cloud, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting uh right in the midst of the cloud being discussed that this is put up right at this moment. And so uh, I, I honestly do not think it's wrong to think that Moses is in some ways not fully relying on the Lord's provision. Mm-hmm. Well, just I mean, take a case in point. Do we pray for healing or do we want good doctors? We do want both, right? You know, so it's not like these are completely separate from one another. Uh, It feels like that because we're so idealistically thinking of the, you know, the cloud just moving and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly. We we trust in the weathermen and we trust in the Lord. (laughs) So go ahead.
2: Uh huh. I think, uh, and there could be a lesson that way, as you were just saying. I think at the same time, given where the cloud moved, it may well be that the scout knew the details of the route and how best to get there. Mm-hmm. So um, I am familiar with some people that have scouted uh, in wartime, and yeah, it's dangerous, but but they talk about the details mm-hmm. of how to get to across the field or the other side or whatever. And that um, may be a, a more positive way of interpreting it.
0: Good. Okay, I don't. I, this is narrative. I don't think we have a complete uh, statement to us which is which. <clears throat> we have to allow for there to be a little bit of tension there. I think the tension is good. It's actually part of what drives the story forward. So let's read. I'll read 1033. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out the resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they went out from the camp. Uh, So again, you have the cloud that represents God's presence, you have the tabernacle that represents God's presence. But here, another physical manifestation of God's presence is what? The ark itself. Now, this is this is obviously setting up uh, for uh, the future. Um, later on, we'll see that the Israelites abuse the ark. They send it out against the Philistines like it's going to destroy them, and they so you can't take the the symbol or the sign of God's presence and ignore the actual presence of God. But here, they seem to be as one. When you see the ark in front of the army of God, you are to realize that you are fighting the almighty God. You should, rather, you should flee rather than fight. Uh, the, the ark is a force to be reckoned with, and no enemy can stand before him. <clears throat> and when the, <clears throat> excuse me, when the ark is resting, Israel is to know that God is dwelling with his people. He is resting with them. How is Israel described? Verse thirty-six, ten thousand thousands. Um, <clears throat> in uh, other translations, are myriads, many thousands. That's right. They didn't have a way to say millions or billions or you know this was just like the unthinkable amount the cloud of the lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp and whenever the ark set out moses said arise o lord let your enemies be scattered let those who hate you flee before you and when it rested he said return o lord to the 10,000 thousands of israel um myriads of thousands so again, we've got we've got here all the things in place. They are an army. In front of them is the Lord. and therefore every enemy will be crushed because the Lord is fighting for his people. Um, which is all being set up for. What's going to happen when they send the spies out? The enemies are too strong for us. We can't do it. So again, a lot of this stuff that we have going on in in Numbers is a direct contrast with the faith of God's people, which is terrible, which just gets crushed. They, They don't like God's authority. They don't like he's put in front of them. They don't like his provision of the manna. They don't like where he's leading them. The enemies are too big. Everything goes wrong. So we're got up to chapter ten, and we're like the army's taking forth, and now just just prepare for everything to just come crashing down. It is not going to be a good uh, start to the book of to the uh, wanderings in the wilderness. All right, that's all for today. That's a lot for today. We covered a lot of ground. <laughs> We're getting there. Numbers, it, it, hopefully, as time goes on, it just will continue to make more and more sense. It is for me. I'm up around chapter 17 right now in my studies, and it's just little by little, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to fall in place. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for calling us to worship. Thank you for the silver trumpet that as we are called to worship here weekly on your Lord's Day, You will uh, appear in the sky, and you will call us all to your eternal kingdom. Lord, help us to rejoice in that. Help us to not be stubborn and rebellious and uh, opposing your leadership of us. Help us to submit to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.